Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Hog Talk The Hog Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you could still be in on the action at betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback. Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and a former <laughs> heptathlete at Cornell Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Three, two... One. Yo, what's going on, Arkansas Razorback fans? SEC fans, welcome to the Hog Talk podcast, the Friday episode. We uh, we thank you guys so much for, for downloading and listening, being a part of what we do here. We really do appreciate it. If you guys would, either now while you're listening or perhaps afterwards, if you would rate and review the podcast, that would be excellent. We would really appreciate that. Alongside me today, Kyle Sutherland. How you doing, my friend? Ty, it's great to be on with you again. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've recorded together, Mm -hmm. but here we are as we are recording. It is after two Razorback wins. The men's and women's basketball teams both took care of business. Similar scores. The Ladybacks 79-47 over SMU. And then the guys, 79-44 over the Southern Jaguars. So, always good to uh, do some, I guess, somewhat instant reactions. I mean, this is two games they should have won. But either way, um, yeah, you, you record a podcast after a win, but this time it's a, a double win. Two wins. Two wins in one night. And, and a game that probably wouldn't happen if, if the athletic department and Coach Muss, you know, hadn't gotten after it like they did. I, I don't know what their time frame was, but it was really short. It was it was really good to see them try and work in a game and shout out. I mean, I'm sure you know none of these people know who we are, but shout out to to the Southern Jaguars. Um, I thought they looked, they hustled, they they were. I mean, you know, they they came into a a game. I'm sure they it was pretty overwhelming for them and. 
played their played their rear ends off. Both both teams did. The Razorbacks looked really good for the most part. I think it got a little sloppy there when they were sw- switching out uh, personnel on the court. Got a little sloppy when they when they bench Connor and and Moody and those guys. You kind of see them. The pace gets a little out of whack. Before we continue on, also Porter or excuse me. Kyle and Cabo are going to be interviewing Brett Hudson, who you can follow on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. No relation, by the way. Um, I think he's probably he's uh, he's actually he's a handsome guy. So there's no way we're related. I'm I'm ugly and fat. Alabama beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News at Tide Sports. As again, again, you can follow him at Brett underscore Hudson on Twitter. And uh, Porter. Is uh, he's? I guess they're not going to be doing. Uh, he's not going to be doing the women's. It's yeah. It's I mean it, it's pretty much just basketball now because the soccer's over, cross country, all that. So That's true. Uh, those uh, will be put on hold for now, and then once we get more sports going on for them, then uh, so of course I'm sure once we get into softball and and there's basketball too going on and all that. So and then of course we got gymnastics coming up as well so yeah for now it's all it's just the women's basketball team and uh and as we were just were mentioning plenty to be excited about about that yeah they that went over baylor oh my gosh man me and my daughters we watched the final the final minutes and uh both my girls were like i want to be a razorback i want to be a lady back and i and i wish i'd caught that on camera i mean it was so cool to hear them say that they were excited jumping up and down and what a win for the women! The Lady Backs tearing it up, man. What's their record on the year now? Is that five and one or four and one? I believe it's six and one. Is isn't it six it? and one? Pretty sure. Uh, let's see. Yeah, need- six and one. Two, and then uh, two and zero. Oh, so yeah, two and zero oh on the road. The only losses. Uh, well, I guess the Maryland loss um, that was a neutral game. But yeah, that oh, was yeah. the only one that they really had a hiccup, and they've looked really good this year. Now they did look a little bit sloppy against Florida Gulf Coast, but uh, they ended up winning, of course. But that was right before the Maryland game. It's obvious that they were probably looking a little bit ahead, but just yeah. can't say enough. We we've praised uh, Coach Neighbors, who's a friend of the friend of the show. He's been on here uh, multiple times and talked with us. And we the last time we had him on, it was right before the season started, and and we knew that this was uh, going to be a special year for them, and. And you know, I still uh, I, I think that they are definitely a top four team in the SEC. And, oh yeah. You know, not to rain rain on the parade. We would definitely want to celebrate that that big Baylor win, even though they've already played a game since then. But uh, I still think that the team is about maybe uh, one person down low in the post. I love Taylor Thomas. She's actually maybe my favorite player on the team because she does a lot of the daily, the a lot of the dirty work, um, like kind of like that Dennis Rodman type that yeah. that's going to get you a lot of lot of she's rebounds. physical she too, man. Too. She's she, yeah, yeah. She's she's had a double double this year, and uh, love Amber Ramirez. We've had her on the pod. Chelsea, all of them, and then Destiny Slocum. What she's been to this team coming in as the best grad transfer. It's just Michaela Daniels, the way that she stepped up. Aaron Aaron Barnum off the bench. Uh, I'm telling you, Ty, this is uh, this is a deep team. Maybe one of the best backcourt. Definitely one of the best backcourts in the country. But I, I, I do think that they are still one more big away from really competing with the South Carolinas. But either way, uh, you know, I, Coach Neighbors definitely has, as he's proven, a top 15 for sure. I I think definitely you could very seriously argue top 10. And uh, just a phenomenal job and a phenomenal start that he's had to year four. They moved up one spot, I think, this week from uh, fourteen yeah, to thirteen. It was about, yeah, I think it was one or two. It wasn't many. Not, not mm. a lot of respect, but no, I don't think that they care. I really don't think that they care. They're just going to keep playing. There's a lot of season left, Lord willing, that we get to play it. 
But I, I really just think that this team is ultra laser focused. They're unselfish. That's one thing I've always noticed about Mike Neighbors' teams. You do not have a selfish player on that court. You're not going to make it if that's the case. And it's just if Amber has a night, then, then the rest of the crew's happy for her. If it's Chelsea, if it's Michaela, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's just the way that this team is. They're extremely unselfish and, and just a great job all the way around, all the way down to the assistants, the, the way that this whole entire team has conducted themselves. Very, very unselfish basketball. And I think you could probably argue the same thing for the for the men's team. Uh, they're, I don't know where they are consider, cons, uh, compared to assists last year in their first five games, but, I mean, they had 16 assists tonight. 16 assists and a whole bunch of <laughs> whole bunch of rebounds and uh, actually this was a rebounding we kind of knew this with Southern we'll go ahead and transition to uh, to men to the men's game tonight uh, I didn't realize until I started looking at the stat sheet but I was watching this game over on on Twitch where Luke never shaves he streams this on Twitch completely free if you guys you know if you struggle finding the game or if you don't have access I highly recommend you head over to Twitch and watch the game there but uh, I, I I thought that Arkansas was out rebounding these guys pretty easily, but then you know when you look at the stat sheet, it was actually a lot closer than than we realized. Forty six to thirty nine. They have size. Southern on the on the live show right as we were right as I was streaming halfway through, someone had mentioned in my chat, you need to look at their size. I'm scrolling down their their roster, and I mean they had I think they had like two six eleven guys. Uh, I mean, they had they had a couple six nine, six ten, like they had the size, and it definitely showed tonight in the paint. They found a way to get some uh, found a way to get some rebounds against the Razorbacks. They weren't out rebounded as much. Arkansas's been out rebounding teams by a lot this year, and tonight I think was their first real contest down there. But yeah, both the men and the women, like both teams, what a way to start the year. And even though the women have that one loss, like okay, you understand why they got that loss. And they are. It goes back to just neighbors' philosophy, very unselfish, moving the ball around. Whoever's hot, you know, whoever's got the hot hand, they're gonna let them shoot. And uh, you know, with the men, with the men's team, I don't think there's been a game yet where you've had only one or two guys with with a with a hot hand. It's been uh, it's been three or four guys. It seems like every game. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty uh, some pretty good basketball today. And good basketball. Hog fans are. I mean, honestly, we're spoiled because you're actually getting a chance to play basketball. You know, you've got all these games that are getting canceled or pushed back. Uh, and uh, and here's Arkansas, you know, gearing up for their sixth game of the year coming up. So, um, going down the – let's go down the, the stat sheet here for the men's team. 79-44, like Kyle said, Arkansas was in control from start to finish. It only got a little sloppy there, I would say, probably – in the middle and in, in kind of coming out of the coming out into the second half. Connor Vanover, he's getting a little he's getting a little cold at three point range. He was like two for what was it? Two for seven the other night. He was one for three tonight. Just the fact that that guy's shooting those though, it, it does everything to the floor. He had three steals, three blocks, but only three points. Again, one from one for uh, three at three point range. Your leading scorer tonight comes off the bench. Dev- How about this, man? Devo Davis, five of eight from the floor. One for one at three-point range. Yeah, Devo was the leading scorer. He was awesome. 14 points. Uh, Where was he at? I thought he had at least a a steal. He did not, but he had two two, uh, assists and seven rebounds. Uh, Arkansas, yeah. I mean, you're going to like that kind of production. 14 uh, 14 points for Devo. Note uh, Note was uh, 12 tonight off the bench. So, I mean, 
Got a little bit of production there, Kyle. A little bit of production from the bench. Yeah, and you, like you said, there's been multiple guys that have really contributed. And I said on Monday's show that Coach Must was talking about on one of the latest Hogpot episodes. I actually got a chance to listen to it last Friday night. And he was talking about COVID and, and that I'm just a little recap here, talking about how COVID has affected their chemistry, just how he feels that they are not near where they need to be in terms of that. And you, as, as I started to watch the games over, the, I guess, the last two since I've listened to that episode, I've really noticed that, that we're really just right now with the teams that we're playing because the, of how COVID affected our schedule from where we were originally supposed to play in Vegas against teams like Louisville and others. Well, this coaching staff, has had, Anthony Ruda, has had to really adjust and schedule games that are regional and in the, the quality right now, we're just out athleticing guys and so uh, out athleticing other teams. And so Moses Moody's had his moments, and and Connor Vanover, Devo Davis had his tonight. We still haven't seen one of those breakout games for KK or Jalen Williams, but both have contributed some uh, a pretty decent amount of minutes. I know both of them played quite a bit against Southern, but we're really going to find out who we are whenever we get it. the first SEC game that we have. Uh, on December 30th is the first time that we're going to be on the road. So we'll find out a lot at Auburn, then we play Missouri, and then we'll really find out who we are against Tennessee in Knoxville on January 6th. And so I, I really I love this team uh, that we have so far. Um, I think there's tons and tons and tons of talent, but uh, right now I just I think it is going to take a little while for us to mesh, maybe even – maybe even as we get into like the middle of conference play, just because this team has not had a chance to play together. That's the difference. Uh, one of the many differences between the guys and the girls, you know, these, these girls have played to, a lot of them have played together for an extensive amount of time. And then you bring back basically Ethan Henderson, who hasn't played a lot this year. You expect him to probably play more as we get into sec play, but Desi Sills is really the only contributor uh, that's returned. And so, um, again, tons of talent, so much potential, a lot to be excited about, but there is still a lot of work to be done with this team. Yeah, they're, they're still a little ways away. And you could tell, you know, people, people ask in, in uh, well, just in other group chats that I'm in and some other DMs here and there, we're asking why Arkansas got into their lull tonight. Like, what's up? Why are they – it feels like they should be up by, like, 50 points. I mean, this team is so bad. And, of course – you know, these apparently these aren't individuals who look up the size of this team that they're playing. These guys have a little bit more size, and they're getting more second chance shots. Something, something I noticed. Southern, there were a couple times Jalen Williams kind of got worked inside. I mean, there were it didn't happen a lot, and I'm not seeing it a ton. Um, and Jalen, of course, the times again, we are recording this like almost immediately following the game, so ESPN doesn't have the times listed. I don't know how much he played tonight, and I did notice he got worked a little bit. Um, they will find, hopefully sooner than later, maybe they already have their five. Maybe the five they ran tonight, and it seems like that is that has been the case, Vanover, Smith, Tate, Moody, and Seals. Uh, but you'll see them, when games get closer, you'll start to see those stat sheets work out a little bit better. You're not going to see Vanover with just three points. I promise you that. That's not going to be the norm. But that's part of the reason why you had this lull, because they were, they were rotating guys in and out so much. He's trying to find who works with what matchup, you know, when they're going, maybe they're switching from two, three zone or something. And they're, they're the defense or the opposing team is switching things around or they're switching out their, their guards for more forwards or, or some more bigs inside. And so Musselman wants to figure out, it's like putting together a really complicated puzzle. That's constantly changing colors and shapes. You know, you're trying to put this thing together. 
and it's it's tough to do because you you want to match up, you want to see how well maybe Connor does against some more big, some more size in the paint. So he's you know he's or or maybe he wants to test Jalen a little bit and put him in in certain situations. I think tonight we saw Jalen and Ethan Henderson on the floor at the same time, at least for those final minutes. So yeah, yeah he's Ethan, Ethan did play. Yeah. Ethan played, didn't do anything uh, with scoring. He had a couple of rebounds. He had one offensive and one defensive. Uh, man, I think they've had double-digit offensive rebounds every game this this year so far. I'm pretty sure, or if not, really damn close. But uh, yeah, that is had, their their length has really showed out. And and another guy I was really going to mention was uh, JD Note. Now he has been jacking up a lot of threes. That's what he's known to do. Must have said <laughs> that's what he wants him to do. Yeah, he, he struggled though. He's around like the thirty to thirty one percent there, but. He's averaging 11.5 off the bench and had, I think it was 12 against Southern, 11, 12. And so yeah. he, he has been shooting a lot of threes that have not been falling, but he's still been getting quality minutes and contributing with points. That's another guy. If you get him going off the bench, I mean, he can. Yeah, he, once you figure it out, it's going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. And, and I think the same thing, too, about, you know, KK and Devo. I think once these guys figure it out, and then it's so nice to have, you know what, if you want to bring two bigs onto the floor. Not only could you could you do that with Vanover and uh, and Williams, but then both these guys are capable of hitting. You know, they're capable of hitting and shooting from out in the perimeter. They're capable of stretching out the floor. Both of them. Connor probably a little bit more accurate out there. I don't know what he's at on the on the year shooting three points three point shots. I don't know where he's at. Um, I hope he's floating around 35 percent. Probably not. But you know, he was one for three tonight, and I think he was two for eight the other night. But other than that, he's been pretty spot on. Uh, Jalen's had a couple of nights where he's knocked down at least two. So the the I don't know. Maybe the better analogy is like a very complicated, ever changing game of chess, and these all these different pieces that, that uh, Coach Musk can work with this year. And it's so it's fun to watch. Even though I get it, they're doing it against teams out of the. I mean, my God, the SWAC, right? I mean, they're not playing anyone great. I understand that. By the way, they're now four forty-eight and zero against the SWAC. The Razorbacks are. For anybody who was who was curious, I could not tell you who they. The first time they played a SWAC opponent, but 48, 48 to zero is their overall record against the SWAC. Um. Yeah, I I wish, and we can. There, there's not much we can do about it unless unless another scenario like what happened this week where. Tulsa backs out, and then you're able to go out and find Southern. I wish they could do that with a couple more opponents before they get into conference play. Find some Power 5 school that just wants to play. I wish that could happen. It's It probably won't, especially when you have coaches around college basketball that are saying that we need to cancel the year. And, and uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know your odds of that happening, getting, getting a chance to schedule a quality opponent. Between uh, between now and the time you get into conference play, I would love it if they could find a couple of just really good teams before they get into conference play. Not only that, think about it like this: we don't know how many games are going to be played this year. We have no idea what that looks like, and we don't know if they're going to change the entry level to get into the NCAA tournament. So Arkansas playing this incredibly weak non-conference schedule. It, it already hurts you. It already bites you in the ass. It could do so even more because now the 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 you know the barrier to entry or the cost to get into the tournament now is going to be a lot more strict. Like who have you beaten? And you look back on Arkansas's non-conference schedule, guys. It is. I don't have to tell you. Anyone who keeps up with basketball, it's terrible. 
This is one of the worst non-conference years I've I've seen for Arkansas basketball. So you're gonna have to get this thing figured out in conference play. And I don't know that you you definitely you don't anyways. Not that Musselman does, but you cannot take any game for granted. You gotta you gotta win these games, obviously. But you get a chance against Oklahoma State, who I think are they ranked? I think they were, or or they were on the bubble. I'm not really sure, but you need to take uh, you've got to take every game. Um, I don't know. They just need to be super duper prepared. I know Coach Muss does not look over games. He doesn't look around. He doesn't look for the next opponent. I don't think he does, anyways. So that's the advantage. Razorbacks have a coach that's gonna that's gonna have them prepared and ready to go. But the way this year plays out, man, I, we just don't know. And again, we don't even know. Someone brought up. In fact, it might have been Manny Watkins, as a matter of fact, tonight on ESPN, who said that they may limit the amount of teams they bring into the tournament. So. They they're gonna have to uh, yeah they're gonna have to do it in conference play can't take any game for granted. I guess we can go ahead and do Discord. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, we can go to the Discord questions. Let's do- I was actually, you know what? As soon as you said that, I was actually just looking at those so I can follow them. Well, and and uh, you know we got to proofread because they they do tend to. Yeah, I see one. <laughs> the very last one. Uh, there is a. Um, there is a very Uh-oh. off-color word there that we will not be using. Sorry, bearded hog. We can't. We can't drop that one here. <laughs> if this were the PTN live show over on YouTube, I'd be all. No, I probably wouldn't even there. Okay, Discord. Discord questions. I love doing these because uh, I don't know. It kind of helps fill the show out a little bit, and you know, it gets us. It's a little bit more intimate. You know, we don't have call-ins like they do on the radio show or anymore. They, you know, everyone texts into all these radio shows. Devin H. says he's got two questions. Franks is going pro. Where does he get drafted, if he does at all? And then he also wants to know, do the Hogs go after UCF quarterback, and should they? Of course, he's talking about uh, uh, McKenzie. Oh, my gosh. Milton. Yeah, yeah. Talking about him. Um, I was looking at his numbers earlier. Holy cow. And first off, I knew he was short. I had no idea he was 5'11", 185 pounds. Dude. Yeah, Yeah, he's small. (laughs) He's tiny. I I thought he was like 6'1", like right at like 6'1", like a shorter. No, this dude's 5'11", 185 pounds. His 2017 season. So for anyone who's curious, this is that infamous 2017 year. They were balling. Pretty sure they went undefeated in 17. And this guy, 265 out of 395 attempts, a 67% pass completion ratio, 4,000 yards, 37 touchdowns, 9 picks while being sacked only 11 times. But that's an adjusted quarterback rating of 179.3. I mean, five foot eleven, and dude is just a baller. Uh, I So I'll answer these two, and then you can you – can, uh, you could chime in as well, Kyle. I'm going to say number one, Franks. I do think he goes pro, and I I really I don't know where. I mean, you know, NFL Combine. I'm not sure it does a guy like him a whole lot of good at the combine. Uh, his skill set is more like it's something you're just going to see on film. He's not going to, you know, people who are like, oh, but he used to be so fast. He's still got a little speed. He should go and run the 40. No, I'd be surprised if that guy ran a 4.740. 40 
Um, he's got that gamer speed, you know, but he's he's truly a pocket passing quarterback with a really strong arm, and he's a good decision maker. Uh, reads defense as well, goes through his progressions pretty well. It's always special when the Razorbacks have a quarterback that's gonna that's looked at as getting drafted, and I think that he will. I just I'm not sure. I would be surprised if it was any more than like the I don't know. I'm gonna say like sixth round. Something like that. Um, and as as far as your your question on the UCF quarterback Devin, I would say, do they go after him? There, I don't know what kind of connection he has with Kendall Bryles, but Kendall Bryles is a pretty well known OC. It wouldn't surprise me if they went after if they went after Milton. I I'm gonna say no, they don't. And should they? I'm gonna say no, no, they shouldn't. I, I think you got to feel pretty comfortable with KJ Jefferson. I don't know, Kyle. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and just while you're on that one, I'll go ahead and feed off that. So the connection with uh, Mackenzie Milton and Arkansas, John Cooper, our tight ends coach, uh, came from UCF. He oh, was there. that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah he was there. Now I think he was only there for one. I, I want to say Mackenzie got hurt in 2018. That was John's first year. He was there from in 2018, 2019. So I would imagine that would probably be where the connections from, and they're at least going to talk to him. I don't see them pursuing him. I think it's an awful idea if they do. I think I said this to you guys last night. You, you're probably going to lose Felipe Franks. I think that that's a given, which I'll get to that in a second since that's the other question. But you saw how good K.J. Jefferson looked. It looked like that he is possibly ready to, if not definitely compete for this offense, take it over once Felipe's gone. But then you brought in Malik Henry. Or I always said Malik Henry. Malik Hornsby brought him in and he's what a top QB in the 2020 class and all this hype and just apparently needs to just develop his mechanics but definitely can compete for the starting spot and then you also bring in Lucas Coley and Landon Rogers now you know who knows what will happen with that um, there's been a lot of rumors here and there that Landon could eventually switch positions you, you know you hear all this different things mm-hmm. during a kid's recruiting process but yeah. but either way bringing in two quarterbacks and I just think that looks really bad if you've got all these guys that you've really uh, that you've brought in yourself, and it's like, well, we're just going to bring in a guy because he's got experience. Well, I mean, KJ has experience. He, this is his second year going into next year, his third year, and not necessarily in the system, but as a SEC quarterback. Hey, he started one game per year, and uh, I mean, I, who knows? Who knows what could happen from here? But. As far as Franks goes, uh, so I, I don't think that they go after Mackenzie Milton. I think that they probably talk to him, maybe just kind of get some, uh, have a little bit of a conversation and see where it goes, but I don't really think they pursue him that hard. Franks, I do think, will be drafted. It's going to be somewhere in the fifth to seventh round, um, and he definitely will get a legit NFL shot. I, I really don't know where it will go. Like you said, Ty, I mean, that's so unpredictable. I mean, yeah. you really don't even know that things could change from – the beginning of the draft until um, you know somebody wanted someone in the third round and then trades happen or surprise picks. So I don't really know where he's going to go, but I definitely think he's going to go somewhere in the fifth or seventh round. Yeah. Uh, oh, the other connection, by the way, I just found it. I knew there was another one. There's a family tie. Jordan Franks played with um, played with Milton at UCF. So that's that's Felipe. That's right. Felipe that, Franks' that's brother. Right. I did that while we were talking. How about that? Yay! Go tie. No. All right, that's a good find. That's a good find. I completely. I, I had heard that. Um, I knew John. I knew John Cooper had come from 
UCF, but that's a good find. I can I had uh, heard that maybe about a year ago or so. Maybe I, or well, I guess whenever Felipe announced he was coming to Arkansas. So I, uh, I should have remembered. I, I see when they when they hired Cooper, I remember being like, oh wow, he must. I wonder if he's going to bring his uh, his his phony championship ring with him. To- <laughs> 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 oh, that's right. I'm throwing shade at UCF. They didn't win a national title. What a joke. Oh, uh, well, no, he doesn't have that because he wasn't there in 2017. Oh, was he not? Year after. Oh, okay. He was there in yeah, 2016. He was, he was only there two seasons. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, still. <laughs> Jay Haas. Oh, boy. It's a good thing we proof, proofread this one. This guy. You're trouble, Haas. Uh, do we see Franks or KJ? It seemed like last week the offense was firing on all cylinders, and if if we do have the offensive offensive intensity from last week, can we make this a potential trap game? This is a really good question, Kyle. I'll let you go first. Hypothetically speaking, there's just no. Let's say both of them are completely 100% healthy, nothing wrong. They're okay to play. You're not going to bench Felipe, especially in the final home game of the year, possibly the final game of the. the of the entire season, um, you know, assuming that we mo- we're probably going to play a bowl game, but we don't know if we're going to make it that far or what's going to happen. You just everything's unpredictable. So I think that yes, if he is good to go, that he starts. But I don't think he will be. So I think we'll see KJ. I think KJ plays if they're firing on all, and we know why they're firing on all cylinders when he's out there. It's because the element of his game. He's he's a true like he's a dual threat quarterback. Now he may not be fast like. Malik Hornsby, and he can use his feet. You saw it a little bit against Sunday or uh, uh, Mizzou on Saturday. Uh, he can take off and run and get you some yards. He can pick up some yards, and he, he gets those yards. He can get them physical, or he can run by you know a slower defensive end or maybe a little bit slower-footed linebacker. KJ's element, that second element that he brings is something Felipe Franks, especially after his injury at Florida, just doesn't have. And I think that's part of it. And some of it, too, I'm sure, was because Mizzou – Truly did not. They were not prepared to see uh, KJ Jefferson, but I was so impressed with KJ. I haven't had a chance to tell the Hog Talk crowd that I talked about on the live show. I was so impressed with KJ. That dude had no idea that Saturday he was going to start, and he goes out there and he plays. And he plays a hell of a game. Four four touchdowns over three hundred yards of, of offense. Good stuff. I could be wrong, but I don't think Felipe Franks. I don't think he plays. I think it's KJ. Bearded hog, uh, how the how the blank <laughs> are we going to stop? Oh yeah, Najee Harris. Yeah, no, but seriously, I want uh, I want done opinions on why off offensive and defensive lines seem to be weak links. Uh, how are we How are we going to fix it next year? Recruiting, developing. I mean, your same stuff that you do every year. You just got to develop. You know, and that takes place in the off season. It takes place in, in spring camp. It happens in workouts in the quote unquote voluntary workouts on campus. It's getting bigger, stronger, faster, putting on good weight, putting on good muscle. I mean, there's only one kind of muscle, and that's good muscle. But putting on good weight, being coached, being developed—that's how you get better along the line of scrimmage. And of course, the one thing you can't coach, which is talent, they need more of it. Just flat out. They need more of it along the line of scrimmage. They don't have enough of it. I, I don't know what's going on with some of these guys. Uh, I really thought a lot of these players that are on the defensive line by now would start to show up, but they really haven't. You know, and of course Montiel Soli, he's had one hand in a damn club the whole time he's been on campus. You know, Eric Gregory has had moments. Williams has had moments. Really the only guy on the defensive line that's done anything has been uh uh the uh, Marshall, Jonathan Marshall. And, of course, he's just using flat-out strength 
to make things happen. Uh, I don't know how they stop. I don't know how they stop Alabama's run game. That's a good question, uh, especially when Arkansas likes to bring three or four and drop everyone back into cover four, cover two, cover four, soft cover zone. I don't know how the hell they're going to stop him. I don't know. I don't think they do. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, they don't. Yeah, you don't. You're not slowing them down either. Our run defense is just absolutely putrid. Yeah. Whenever we, whenever our run defense looked bad for the first time against Auburn, I really thought that it was mainly because uh, the ground was just wet and the conditions from the weather. But, you know, I still think that we've got a pretty decent pass defense. Now, Hudson Clark has regressed mightily, and you would expect that. It just It's really hard to stay. No matter if he had all the talent in the world, it's hard to stay where at the level he was. But he's a pretty solid tackler. I mean, he's done some good things. He's just not great at one-on-one. And so I I still think that we have a a pretty good secondary and good linebackers, but just a lot of inconsistency on the D-line. Like you said, Jonathan Marshall, I mean, he's a guy that's going to push people into the backfield and has been one of the consistent ones. But you just really haven't had that. For a while, the the three-man rush was working for you, but – I mean, if it's not Najee Harris this week, it's going to be Devontae Smith or John Mechie. I know that Jalen Waddle's out this year, but uh, he went down with a knee injury against Tennessee. But it's just somebody's going to step up. I mean, it, it's it's Alabama. They reload. That's what they do every single year. And mm. I, I just truly I truly just think that this is going to be a land. We don't know Grant Morgan's status as we're recording <laughs> and probably won't until around game time. I don't think that he's going to play. I don't know that. I just don't think that. And I just I think this is going to be an absolute bloodbath, and that that Missouri loss just it really hurts because uh, you know we kind of just to go along with his question about the offensive line. I think that that was maybe the best offensive line. I've the, that's for sure the best that I've seen them play. I think in an SEC game since the last time Pittman was here. That's dating back 2016, Ooh, 17, 18. That's a statement. So that's dating right back there. a long time. I mean, I think that might be the best I've seen the offensive line play since Pittman in an SEC game yeah. since Pittman was last there. Now, I might be missing something because I know that we did. I know, I know we played really well against Florida in 2016. Um, so maybe, maybe since about like 2017, that's the best I've seen them play. But either way, one of the best we've seen the offensive line play in recent memory and mm-hmm. probably one of the best since Pittman was last there. So. It was good to see that, but can they continue that now that you're going to face? Now, no disrespect to Missouri's defense. I think they were definitely underrated, especially when you have Nick Bolton out there, which they didn't have for the second half. But, um, it, you know, it's just a whole other animal against Alabama. But um, I don't know. Like you said, you just got to recruit, keep recruiting and developing, and um, and you're just not going to stop Najee to answer the other question. <laughs> you're just not. There's no – I don't know. I mean, you could try to stack the box, and, and, but then you're just going to get ripped up. You know, with the quarterback play, uh, there's Bama's just uh, this might be. I think they are the best team in college football, and even with a healthy Clemson. I just think because they're they're so well balanced on both sides of the ball, no doubt they have elite elite talent. So does Ohio State. So does Clemson. But Bama just seems to be a little bit above everyone else right now. Uh, maybe maybe they'll go into the playoffs and lay an egg and and lose to Clemson. But I, I just think. Head to head right now, I, I think I would take Bama over anybody. I mean, they're just playing great football, and I, Arkansas is just not in the shape. They don't, you know, they, they're, they're not not in the shape to take on teams like this. I mean, my God, the spread right now. What is it? 30, 33, 32 points. Um, the over under at sixty eight. <laughs> so I'm not sure how uh, how they come to that total. Could be could be 
higher. I mean, just depending on on uh, how this thing plays out. But yeah, I I don't have a score yet. I know uh, our graphics guy Keith. He wants a score, and I'm like, I don't have one yet, but I do think Bama easily wins this thing. Maybe you get some mercy points in the fourth. I, I could see that kind of playing out, you know. So while we're on the topic, thank you for the Discord questions, by the way, guys. If you want to come be a part of that, don't forget, check out the link on uh, on Twitter. You can go to our Twitter page and and uh, check out the uh, – you can join there. And if you don't have a Discord account, it's real easy. It's free. It's pretty awesome there. It's kind of like – it's a free message board. I mean, we don't have the recruiting information all the time like you would at other places, but sometimes there's some pretty cool information there. Um, so going to this game really quick, we'll go ahead and break it down since that's really uh, what we're aiming to do here anyways. Arkansas points per game, we'll go down this thing pretty quick. We'll just compare the two. Arkansas, 28 points per game on offense to, to Bama's 49. <laughs> 49 points a game. In SEC play only. I mean, that's incredible. Points allowed, 18.3 to Arkansas's 33. Arkansas's just, their defense has declined so much for so long. This year, for so long, it was like they're giving up 25, and then it was 26. It was kind of a slow teeter. Now they're just full-blown 33 points a game. Uh, Total yards per game, 548 for Bama, 414 for Arkansas. That number's also gone up. The offense is starting to play better. I do think they play at a faster pace with KJ, and that's a big advantage. And when, like Kyle said, that offensive line play, and I couldn't agree more, that's the best that I've seen in a while. That's a, That was great offensive line play. I don't know that you do that this weekend. KJ or Felipe, whoever plays, is going to have a crowded backfield. His pocket's going to be pretty crowded. Yards passing per game. Bama's at 361 to Arkansas's 254. Yards rushing, they're at 187 per game on offense. Arkansas's 159. Total yards allowed, uh, 357. Look, Mizzou wasn't far from that on yards allowed. They were like, I want to say 365 before Arkansas played them. So... But, yeah, Bama's just – there's so much more talent compared to Mizzou. 452 for Arkansas per game. That number has also gone up. Uh, their secondary 240 is what they give up, 116 on the ground. Arkansas gives up 263 through the air, 189 on the ground. So, Najee Harris on the year, 169 carries, 1,038 yards. Uh, Jones, the quarterback play has been great. Mack has been uh, pretty special this year. They're uh, – they're kind of doing whatever they want, and that's just that's just what it is. And, and I, I don't know how Arkansas slows this down. I mean, I would say normally, you know, you crash as much as you can in the backfield. You dial up as many blitz packages as you can. Try to put pressure on the quarterback, but you do that. This kid's going to rip you to shreds. Um, yeah, he's got 3,113 yards on the year. 27 passing touchdowns to just three interceptions. Franks, who's at 2,000 yards. Uh, 2017 with 17 touchdowns to four interceptions. Um, Traylon Smith, 115 carries, 641 yards, five touchdowns. And then last but not least, Burks, 49 catches, 804 yards to uh, to Bama's Smith, 80 catches, 1,300 yards, 15 touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. Um, hands are full this weekend. I I don't know how you stop them. We've already said that enough here, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough, you know. And I I don't want to I don't want to sit here and act all negative. 
it's just an overwhelming matchup for the Razorbacks. But if they do anything, obviously, I don't know, fast, 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 tempo, 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 and KJ seems to be the best option there. But if Franks is healthy, you got to play Franks. I agree with Kyle on that. Um, run game's got to get established. What do you think, Kyle? Do they do they cover this game? Do they cover that spread? I, I I think they do cover. Yeah, I will say that. I think that I, I can see them getting some trash points. That happens a lot. Nick Saban will get up. I think that Nick does that in a, in a way just to kind of justify if that because if he gets up early and then they start coming back, kind of like 2018, Chad's first year. We thought that we were doing good things. Hey, we put up 31 Alabama. We're the only one besides Clemson in the national championship to do that. Yeah, well. Yeah. He got up really early on us, so then we started coming back. And it also makes him look a little bit better because it's like, well, he actually didn't – maybe he didn't run up the score. They scored 25, 30, 35 points. So, um, I, yeah, this is just going to be another bloodbath. Um, I just really think that. And, and not intentional. I don't think Saban's going to intentionally run it up on Pittman. Um, I don't think that anybody, any coach in America would have a problem with him or try to do anything like that. But it's just uh, the talent level is just going to be so much different. Yeah, they're they're planning to get into the title game. There's no question they're going to get in, even if even if somehow Arkansas made this a game. You know, if if Bama, I don't know, if they just play their sloppiest game, which people got to remember that is entirely possible. You do play this game on the field, and, and I agree with that. Uh, but uh, I mean, they're they're nine and zero. They haven't slipped up yet. There's no reason for them to this weekend in Fayetteville. But regardless, I'm going to watch all four quarters. I'm going to have the halftime show on the Hog Talk Podcast Facebook page. I'm going to be live on the post-game show. It's going to be fun. We're still we're going to take away the, the bright spots, right? The the If God willing there are any, we're going to try and, and, and talk about those and look look forward to the, to the future. Need to play this game well. Try not to lose. Try to cover the spread. And I'm, I'm with you. I do think they cover... And it probably will be trash points in the final uh, in the final minutes of the fourth quarter. But you know, there's there's got to be a bowl game. I've actually talked to people who are like, no, don't play a bowl game at all. They need to cancel the bowl games. And it's not out of fear of COVID. It's just like they don't think we should play bowl games. Anybody? I don't know why you. I don't know why anyone has that opinion. Like, you need this opportunity. That's more practices. That's more of an opportunity for your young guys to get prepared. Not to mention that'll be an SEC team's first, or a lot of teams in, in uh, the Power Five, be their first non-conference game. Um, so an opportunity to play someone maybe a little bit outside of your, someone you're not so familiar with that you haven't played every year. It gives you an opportunity for more for more practices, more chances to, to develop guys that didn't really get a chance to develop. You know, maybe some guys get a little banged up in these final weeks. It's just another opportunity to, to practice and to to install game to install a game plan, go out and and, and play another game. I don't, I can't believe it. I've I've had several people that are like, no, I just don't think there should be a bowl game at all. And I'm like, what are you what? What are you talking about? You need you want it. You got to have the bowl game. Get a get another chance of getting better. Why not? So next up, Kyle, you're gonna be you and Cabo both are gonna be interviewing Brett Hudson. So that's gonna be next up, yes. Alabama beat writer. Yeah. So, yep, be, be, be talking about the game a little more in depth. And now I know that there's not a, uh, I've never, uh, I, I've done quite a few podcasts while I'm on here. Mm-hmm. And when I, at my previous one with Tex Hogs, uh, with a cross beat writer, I have yet to do one. I've done quite a few with, with various ones, but not with Alabama. And so 
that's going to be interesting breaking down an Arkansas Alabama game. But hey, we're uh, we're going to roll with the punches. I'm sure he's used to uh, being on po- on cross pods that they're expecting to blow people out. So this is nothing new to him. Well, I was going to ask, does he even know who they're playing this weekend? <laughs> He might just be nice enough to uh, – he, he was more than likely just, just polite enough to respond to our email to come on. Hey, that's awesome. It's, it's great that he's coming on. But I'll take it. But, uh, yeah, but I'll yeah. take it. Looking forward to talking to him. There you go. All right. Well, that'll be up next. Uh, Porter, we're not going to do the, uh, the, the women's – we already talked about that. We're not going to do the women's report on this one. So, uh, yeah, you guys enjoy the next segment. Remember to rate and review the podcast. I will see you guys next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll pick so we go Hawks. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479 347 9336. That's 479 347 9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479 368 6490. Again, that's 479 479- Three six eight six four nine zero. We're back on episode number one forty seven of the Hog Talk Podcast. Kyle Sutherland alongside Kevin Bohannon, and we are now joined on the Workman's Travel Center hotline by Alabama beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News and TideSports.com, Brett Hudson. Brett, appreciate you coming on with us. Glad to have made it this far. I know Alabama and Arkansas both have had some COVID cancellations, but this is the last game of the year. Alabama has been hot all season. They've just gotten better and better, it seems, each week. And I got to ask you, in your time of covering this team, we Kevin and I are realists, and I think everybody in the hog talk, especially in most Razorback fans, realize this is probably not going to be pretty this weekend. How, how much uh, have you learned through your time as a beat writer with all the teams that you just knew Alabama was going to throttle? I guess you've gotten quite a bit of experience with this. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. And uh, as you can imagine, being the Alabama beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News, you, you gained some uh, requests for radio and podcasts and, and visiting locations. Obviously, none of it has to do with me and everything to do with the outlet I work for, it's not like I'm that good. But, um, yeah, as you can imagine, you, you go on those radio shows and the podcasts, and, and everyone like y'all is pretty realistic about it. They know what Alabama is. They know that uh, the football team in their local market is, is not what, what Alabama currently is. So it, it was especially strong for the LSU week because I used to work in and live in Louisiana. I covered high school sports sports in northeast Louisiana for about a year and a half so of course I've got a a bunch of friends in in Louisiana especially in the in the broadcast realm so whenever Bama plays LSU in football or in baseball I I cover baseball here too um, I do a ton of radio in Louisiana and almost all of them started with the same question which is you know there's normally a lot of hype around this game but this year there's basically nothing and um, I think that was kind of indicative of, of Alabama's entire season with the exception of the, of the Georgia game. You know, most people go into games with this year's Alabama team expecting absolute disaster. Uh, and most of the time they're right. 
So, pun, pun intended, the, the tide has really kind of turned as far as how what dare the team, you? <laughs> well, I know what the team looked like, what the team looks like now being an offensive powerhouse juggernaut, use whatever adjective you can use, as opposed to being just a defensive run the ball team. You know, Mac Jones is putting up numbers that no other Alabama quarterback has before, you know, through his first 13 games compared to Tua and Jalen Hurts. Mac is number one. His NFL passer rating would be in the 140s right now on, on that scale. So what has it been like covering this team throughout this offensive transition to just being a juggernaut? Uh, I mean, it, Nick Saban saw the light. You know, he he saw those Hugh Freeze teams beat him twice and realized that if if he wants to do what he has been doing, which is winning championships at a pretty absurd level, he's going to have to play offense this way to to keep doing it. And uh, I think that it, it's funny that Lane Kiffin is back in, in the league now because Lane is the one that kind of started this entire process. I don't want to say that Lane dragged Nick Saban kicking and screaming into the modern offensive era because obviously Nick is the one that, that made the hire and gave him whatever level of autonomy that he gave Lane. But Nick also hired Lane Kiffin because he knew that Lane Kiffin is kind of a, a button pusher, an envelope pusher, right? He's, he's someone who isn't afraid to antagonize a little bit or a lot of bit if you're, if you're Lane. He's not afraid to kind of push things in ways that Nick probably would not have just based on his own track record and, and tendencies and uh, previous philosophies of uh, football, especially offensive football. He knew that Lane Kiffin could be someone who kind of established what, what Alabama wants its offensive future to be. Um, and, and ever since then, it's, it's been that. I mean, if you look at Alabama's offensive record books, almost all of it is since 2014 when, when Lane Kiffin's ideology really blew up with Blake Sims at quarterback and Amari Cooper catching a, a thousand passes that year. Um, and, and since then, they've been this. You know, their, their defense has regressed a little bit over the last two years or so, so they're a little more shootout-y now than I think Nick intended them to be. But this is definitely the style of offense they want to be uh, for as long as, as Nick Saban is here and probably for at least Nick's successor, if not beyond that, because this is this is what works for them. And frankly, this is what wins in, in modern offensive college football. I'm, I'm constantly rolling my eyes at programs like Georgia that purport themselves to be national championship, championship contenders, yet – play offense the way that they do because there's just no precedent. There's no track record for teams that play offense in the, for lack of a better phrase, old school kind of way, winning things in, in modern college football. If, if you look at the college football playoff era, all of the teams that have gotten there and done it have played offense in this explosive modern way. And the ones that don't play offense that way, they either don't get into the playoff at all or when they do get there, they get their brains beat in in the semifinal because they're not playing football the way it has to be played to win championships. Nick Saban made that realization around the time he hired Lane Kiffin, and ever since then they've gotten better and better at it to the point that they're playing the the modern offensive style of football better than pretty much anybody else in the in the country right now. Definitely one of the most explosive offenses in, in college football this year. 
Brett, I wanted to talk about Lane Kiffin. You talked about him just a second there. And he, of course, came in as the offensive coordinator right after the whole thing happened at uh, USC where he was left at the bus stop. But, you know, his uh, I wouldn't really say it was – well, you could you could argue that his career was at a train wreck point there, or at least it was teetering uh, to that level. But Steve Sarkeesian was the one that he brought in as an analyst when he, his life pretty much was derailed, at least his personal life was. And he then it goes to the Atlanta Falcons for a couple years, and then he comes back after being an analyst as the OC, which he still is, of course. And he's done what we've already previously mentioned about the kind of numbers that this offense is putting up. It really seems – I know that some people really give grief to Saban for these analyst jobs that he always gives, like Butch Jones and all these other coaches uh, that had failed in some capacity. But it seems like it's working pretty well for the most part, and, and Steve Sarkeesian will more than likely be a head coach at a pretty prominent position next year. Uh, Charlie Strong and Major Applewhite are two more coaches who are analysts at Alabama right now. So to to kind of throw fuel to to the fire there, yeah, I mean, um, Bama's got the money to do it. They've got the program to do it. So why not? It, it clearly makes them better. You know, everybody wants to have this army of analysts that can do the advanced scouting and do the self scouting and and do all of the practice analysis and everything else at such a granular level that a great deal of their competition can't match it. And because of Alabama's reputation, um, they can attract a higher level of, of candidate because these guys know, as, as you mentioned, Steve Sarkeesian is a, is a good model for this. He started off as an analyst at Alabama. He's been a, a wildly successful offensive coordinator. He almost got both the Colorado and Mississippi State had coaching jobs last offseason. Uh, I mean, it seems somewhat likely that someone is going to at least offer him the chance to do it in, in this offseason. And maybe he's pulling a Billy Napier on us and he's waiting for the absolute best possible job to come open before he, he jumps ship. I don't, admittedly, I don't know what um, Steve Sarkeesian's life plans are, but it's it, the model is there for, for coaches, right? Who are trying to, rehabilitate their their coaching image the model is there to take up an analyst job at Alabama live kind of a more slower paced life for a couple years than than people who are in the full-on meat grinder as coordinators or, or head coaches and then rehabilitate your your image that way so it's it's a good model for for those people to take and I imagine when when all of these guys, when Sarkeesian and Charlie Strong and Butch Jones and Major Applewhite and Mike Stoops is another one that I, I forgot to mention earlier, um, when all of those guys move on to whatever their bigger and better thing is, I'm sure there will be other coaches that will somewhat quickly replace them. Let's transition to the defensive side of the ball. And, of course, we talked about that was the hallmark of every saving team when he was at LSU, first at Alabama. Over the last five and a half games, it seems like they're getting back to that style of football. They're only giving up 278 yards per game, around 10 points a game, and they're giving up 18 points over the course of their season now. Is that a reflection of how good this defense is, or is it kind of a reflection of the opponent? I'd say it's like 70 opponent, 30 Alabama's defense. Um, if you go back to the beginning of the season with, with Alabama, they did not play – great against Missouri most of that was on the back end and kind of garbage time backdoor cover kind of scores if you will uh Texas A&M had, had a certain degree of offensive success against uh Alabama and then obviously the Ole Miss game the numbers were just right. out of control from from that one since then 
they've played better. They played better in their statistics. Statistics have been noticeably better, but you got to look at the teams that are on that list, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi state, Kentucky, Auburn and LSU, all of them. I, I mean, I think the best you could describe any of those offenses is if you described Auburn's as inconsistent um, and the rest of them are, are varying degrees of, of bad from Georgia, Tennessee, or, or at least below average Georgia, Tennessee, and then the bad you get down to the Kentucky and, and Mississippi state levels. Um, there have been some elements of the defense that I've thought, would transition once they play better opponents. I think the pass rush is undeniably better and and will be present when they eventually play Florida and possibly college football playoff opponents that that was non-existent at times early in the season. I I think that has improved. I think the open field tackling has improved, and that was a a, a real big sticking point after the, the first three weeks. But there are definitely some aspects of this defense, especially in the ways that Texas A&M and Ole Miss attacked it with talent in both scheme that they haven't really seen since then. And they probably won't see until Florida or possibly in, in the college football playoff. So there's definitely some improvement out of this defense, but it's, it's hard to look at its, at its stats over the last five games or so and, and take those to be solid gold. Because again, in that stretch, there includes some of the, the, the worst def- worst offenses in the SEC. And I wanted to ask you, too, how much on that defense that having Dylan Moses back is, man, just a phenomenal player, one of the linebackers I've seen come through in a while through there. I actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think he got offered when he was in like seventh or eighth grade from Saban. I, I feel like I saw that in a Sports Illustrated. Uh, has, pr- has played pr- pretty much like just about every game since he's been on campus, and he was out last year after tearing his ACL in fall camp. How much has he meant just having him back on the field? Not just his, his talent, but just his presence as a one of the top players on the team. It's funny. His, his presence has been more useful for Alabama than his physical talent you know last year he and another red and a redshirt senior Joshua McMillan were kind of penciled in to be the two starters at inside linebacker both took season ending knee injuries in preseason practice and Alabama went with two uh, true freshmen at inside linebacker Shane Lee and and Christian Harris Um, and the communication and the organization of the defense clearly suffered that was a lot of the the reasons for their their struggles last year when Alabama was tied for 43rd in the nation in, in run defense. Fathom that for, for a second, a Nick Saban defense finishing in the 40s uh, nationally in, in run defense. And, and Dylan Moses, he's fixed a lot of that just by being there, but he hasn't been the physical monster that I thought he would be. If you look back to his 2018 season, the last one that he played fully healthy, he was a first-team All-SEC linebacker. He was constantly – behind the line of scrimmage this year he hasn't quite been that and I don't know if he's still trying to work through the the knee deal maybe that's an issue or whatever it is with his production it it isn't quite what I expected of it when the season started but he's been a he's been a very useful player because you can just tell in watching this defense they are where they are supposed to be much more often than they were last year and I, I just can't help but assume that a lot of that goes to, uh, to Dylan Moses and his knowledge and understanding of, of the scheme and his veteran presence to, to be there and command people and, and put them where they need to be. Brett, one thing that Alabama has always 
done well is have non-offensive touchdowns. And this year they only have two, I believe. It's uh, three, sorry. Uh, they have two intercept, two pick six, and a fumble recovery. How much has Jalen Waddle been being out hurt that and hurt hurt their special teams overall? Yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest part of it. I mean, they're they're a little inexperienced in in the secondary. They're still good there. They're just inexperienced, so that would that probably plays a little bit of a factor that there may be a pick six or two uh, missing there if they were more experienced there, but I think Jalen Waddle is definitely the biggest um, factor there. He was, I mean, by far the best punt returner in the nation last year and one of the best kick returners. And he was on par to have a, a big year in that regard this year, because inexplicably people still kick to him. I don't know why I will never understand why it makes me wonder what the heck special teams coordinators around the sec are doing all week before they play Alabama. Um, you, you'd think watching film, just like the, a minuscule amount of film on that guy would tell you, hey, I don't need to give that guy the ball. He's really good. We should probably not do that. That's a that's a sidebar for another day. Um, <laughs> that's definitely hurt Alabama in that regard. Now, of course, their scoring hasn't hurt overall because their offense is so right. freaking good, which I'm sure we're going to get to momentarily. But if you're, if you're looking at non-offensive touchdowns as a statistic where Alabama is lacking based on its normal standard um, – Jalen Waddle being missing as a as a returner is definitely a big part of that because they've ended up having to put Devontae Smith back there at, at punt returner, the best wide receiver in the nation. Uh, I'll die on this hill. They've had to put him back there at, at punt returner because he's he's the one that gives them the best chance to to safely field the punt and, and possibly gain some yards out of it. He's he's an incredible athlete. He's not a natural punt returner by by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so that's that's probably where they're missing a few non-offensive touchdowns that they would have had otherwise. And uh, Brett, I want to just go through some numbers here. So I know Kevin had, had talked a little bit about it, but Mac Jones over 3000 passing yards, a touchdown to interception ratio of 27 to three Najee Harris over a thousand yards, 20 touchdowns averages six yards a carry. And you talk about Waddle being out. You still have Devonta Smith there, 1300 yards, 15 touchdowns. And John Mechie's really stepped up with six touchdowns. We always ask our, our guests that we do the cross pods with of who we're playing that week. We always get them to predict a score. Now, as we talked about at the beginning, we know that uh, probably all of us have Alabama blowing Arkansas out. But all these weapons that I mentioned, how does anybody stop them? How does anybody even slow them down? Do you think that any – Notre Dame's looked pretty good this year. Clemson, they've had some COVID issues and they lost to Notre Dame. Ohio State, who knows what's going on over there. Is there really anybody before we get into the prediction that you think can stop this team? Um, if so, I want to see them. Like I, I really want to see the defense that can corral this thing a little bit. You know, I mean, it, it's like you said, they just have so many weapons, and, and Devonte Smith is playing it at a level that we haven't seen out of a college wide receiver in a really, really long time. Like like Devonte Smith, assuming Alabama plays into the college football playoff, if not the national championship game. Like, assuming Bama gets there and, and Devontae plays the role that he's currently playing right now, like, he's probably going to crack the top 15 or top 10 in NCAA history in career receiving touchdowns. Like, that's the kind of career that Devontae Smith is, is having. And then you mentioned Najee Harris, who is very close to breaking the Alabama records for both career rushing touchdowns and career rushing yards. Um, Mac Jones is, is working his way up Alabama single season 
passing yards and passing touchdowns list. It's, 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 it's in historic offense in every definition of the word. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing if anyone can, it would probably be either Clemson or Ohio State just because those are the two programs that recruit on a level somewhat comparable to, to Alabama. And obviously Georgia does too, but we, we saw how that went a few weeks ago. Um, so cross them off the list. I'm assuming if anyone can, it's one of those two because they're most likely to have the talent at their disposal that can go stride for stride with some of these guys and not get blown off the ball or, or just get left behind in, in coverage. Uh, I, so if it can be done, I'm assuming it's, it's one of those two. And that's why, like, if I were allowed to to ethically allowed to, like, root for certain conclusions or, or whatever, my, my ideal outcome would be that Bama – faces some combination of Clemson and Ohio State in the college football playoff. Whichever order, I don't really care. Uh, I, I just want to see it because, again, if there is going to be a defense out there that can handle this offense talent-wise, it's probably going to be one of those two. So why not get them both in the span of 11 days and see just how historic this offense is? Well, and also, too, on top of all that, also got the uh, – I've heard that maybe it's the best Saban offensive line of all time. I don't know. I know that there's like three pretty high projected draft picks. So, you got that working for you as well. So, it just uh, really can't go wrong in all of that. Well, Brett, uh, do you think that Arkansas will hang at all? I know that there's been a couple of games that – most of them, at least in the last 14 years or so, have been blowouts. But there have been some where Arkansas either started pretty well and then they just uh, – Alabama just put pretty much put their foot right on the throat. But do you think that the Razorbacks can hang it all? I think I picked them at 52-20 to 20, Alabama winning. Um, so I think that they can either do one of two things, that they can maybe hang around for the first quarter and around that range or possibly just get garbage points at the end. I would probably go more so with the latter. I think I went 52-10 or 52-13, so that probably answers uh, your question yeah. there. Uh, I'm making myself yeah. very popular in Fayetteville, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, it's not an indictment of Arkansas, although their defensive performance over the last three weeks is super, super concerning. Um, uh, normally, I pick Alabama to go in the 45-48 to 48 range, but I bumped it up to 52, having, uh, having seen what uh, the Hogs have done defensively over the last few weeks. Um, especially in, in run defense. Like this, this offense has run through Devontae Smith the last four weeks or so. And then you present them a, a run defense that let Ty, Tyreon Davis Price, of all people, run for 100 yards at LSU. Like what, what was that? Um, and then Roundtree torches him last week. I mean, you're, you're already facing an, an offense that historic, is historic from a passing perspective. Then you, you grant Najee Harris some, some holes, and that's concerning. Um, so I don't know that there's a, a window for, for Arkansas to, to keep this thing competitive for, for long. But then again, I had Arkansas going 0-10 in the preseason. So what, what do I know about the Hogs? <laughs> yeah, I had them at one win. I th most of us within our – I had two and eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, most of us either had a win or two, so we're right with you there. But I was going to say, um, I know that you guys are, don't get Saban, I guess, until after the game. I was going to tell you to tell them to take it easy on us if you don't mind to give that special <laughs> message to Hog Talk, guys. But, hey, we'll just pretend that we can. And uh, But, hey, like I said at the beginning, we're just happy that we've made it this far. Uh, some teams – I guess really didn't get to play the bulk that they wanted to. You think about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 when they started. And so just to get to this point, you know, we're happy. And, and Brett, we really appreciate you coming on. And not that you guys really need it, but best of luck the rest of the way after this weekend, even though it's uh, we know how it's going to go. 
Uh, well, you know, we very well could be having the exact inverse of this conversation when they play baseball against one another. So, yeah, hey, there we gonna, go. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, yeah, we definitely need to have you back for, for baseball, for the, no doubt. So, well, uh, yeah. Brett, again, thanks you, thanks for uh, coming on and talking with us. And guys, thank you as always for listening. We will catch you Monday. I'm Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.